Thrive Friends, welcome. This is your host, Dr. Solomon, and today I have a very special guest, Dory Clark. Welcome, Dory. Hi, Mohammed, aka Dr. Solomon. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. So before we start, I'd like to talk for a minute or two about Dory and her long accomplishments. Dory's CV is as big as the white pages of New York City, so I would never be able to do her justice. She is a colleague and a dear virtual mentor. She was a journalist who rebranded herself to marketing consultant, and then many, many times through her career, she rebranded herself again and again to become now among the Thinkers 50, aka top 50 business thinkers in the world. Uh, she has been selected as the number one communication coach by the Marshall Goldsmith Coaching Global Awards. And she is a prolific writer, and I can't deny that I am jealous of this. Dory writes nonstop. Time, New York Times, Forbes, you name it. She has a number of best-selling books, including Reinventing You, Stand Out, and she's currently writing long-term planning for short-term world. That's pretty close. The, uh, the actual, the, the, the short title is called The Long Game. The Long Game. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, one of the fun facts about Dory is that she can write up to 6,000 words a day during the pandemic. I'm okay if she wrote this outside the pandemic, but the demotivation we all had during that time is, is really tough. So either her day is 48 hours, and it's not the 24 we have, or she has some motivational sauce that she's going to share with us today. So Dory, this leads me to my first question. How did you keep yourself motivated on a daily basis where you write, you give LinkedIn courses, you interview a lot, you have a series on time, and how did you keep yourself on the go over the past six months? Well, I, I think it really depends what your what your point of view is, right? I think sometimes you can you can go pretty far by reframing. And so in my case, I said, you know what? There's a pandemic out and I can't go out to eat with my friends. Lots of my friends have left New York City where I live. Um, so I can't, I can't really, you know, the theaters are closed. I used to go to a lot of theater. So basically I can't do anything with anyone is the point. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, if I can't do anything with anyone, I might as well be productive now because what else am I going to do? And the minute we are able to go back out and have fun and have dinner and go to the theater, I'm going to want to do a lot of that. So I will be overcompensating whenever that happens, 2021 or, you know, God willing. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I figured I, I would be in a better position to be able to do that if I felt virtuous in having accomplished a lot during the time of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So your strategy is, okay, now there is no so time for socialization. I'll use this to be productive and then overcompensate uh, when things just start to change. That's, that's what I'm telling myself. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> otherwise it would be awfully depressing to just sit there and, oh, life is over. This is terrible. All there is is Netflix. Um, so I, I actually found myself 
better positioned. Like I, I was able to keep my positive mental attitude much better by saying, hey, I'm writing a book. And the reason I'm not seeing any friends is I'm so busy writing a book. You know, because when, when you put yourself in that frame, that's a lot happier of a frame. That's a lot more virtuous of a frame than, hey, the reason I'm not seeing anyone is because there's a pandemic out. It seems like it's about mental framing. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So that leads me to the second question. So suppose you woke up one day and just things are not going as planned. How did you pick yourself up during this uncertain time? So when things are not going as planned, I think that part, part of what I try to do, obviously, is understand why that's the case. Mm-hmm. And if something is really an exigent circumstance, then, you know, it's, you have to be gentle with yourself. You don't necessarily know when the boiler is going to explode. And when the boiler explodes, you really need to do something about it. And you can't beat yourself up about something that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that an important question to, to ask yourself, though, and you really have to be honest with yourself, is, okay, is it really a boiler exploding sort of situation? Or is it actually something you could have predicted and yet failed to? And if that's the case, how do you take action to make sure that doesn't happen again? How, how can you get smarter for next time? Or um, if you keep finding yourself in situations where, oh my gosh, boilers just explode all over the place all the time. Well, maybe it actually is you. Maybe you are uh, creating patterns where you're almost looking for excuses not to do something. And that's worth looking into as well. So I think it's just a question of, okay, if something happens and it derails you, that's, that's fine. Um, just be gentle and move on. But if it keeps happening, then it's, it's worth interrogating whether you're actually causing that situation. So what I hear you saying is when things don't go as planned with you, you exercise um, self-compassion. But if you see something happening repeatedly, you take a step back and think, oh, it could be me uh, not predicting this to happen uh, properly. And I led myself into this. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, um, the whole pandemic situation, a lot of people clearly didn't really predict what would happen with the pandemic. Uh, But it was very upsetting to me that it sort of caught me by surprise. And so I started just going all in on doing things like reading books uh, by, or listening on audio actually, to uh, books by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, or Taleb, I guess you say it, um, Anti-Fragile and uh, the, uh, the Black Swan. You know, I wanted to understand why it is that we are caught by surprise and to try to take preventative action. So I actually have been reading articles about scenario planning for the first time. I actually literally have been doing scenario planning where I'm writing out possible uh, future scenarios and then thinking about things that I need to, to do as a result of it to try to get a little bit smarter. So, uh, so I'm, I'm definitely taking that seriously. But sometimes people might say, because, you know, I'm somebody that gets a reasonable amount done. They say, oh, but are you so hard on yourself? Are you always pushing yourself? And the answer is no, I'm not hard on myself at all. I, I, I feel like I'm very, I'm very kind to myself. I'm like, you know what? If that didn't happen, it probably didn't happen for a good reason. So you're trying your hardest.
Yeah, thank you for sharing this. And yeah. for our audience who do not know what scenario planning is, could you explain it in, in a few words? Yeah, absolutely. So scenario planning is really just the act of writing out in advance multiple possible futures that might occur. And so, uh, you know, you can do it over different time horizons. You can say scenario planning for the next year, or for the next five years, or the next 10 years. And you just sort of pick different things. Like, what would it look like if things were great? Or what would it look like if, if everything went to hell in a handbasket? Or you can pick different uh, things to emphasize. You know, well, okay, well, what, what would be different? Uh, you know, I mean, a, a big one, of course, is, okay, great. we we get a COVID vaccine and, and, everything's back to normal, but, but my next spring, amazing. Or maybe another scenario that we have to think about is, you know what, the vaccines, none of them work. And we have to keep up social distancing for the next 24 months. Like, what do we do then? What do businesses do then? How do you keep your business afloat? And it's sort of wargaming different possibilities. You are an expert in rebranding. You're an expert in marketing. How could we use this pandemic as an opportunity to grow and thrive at looking at it as a hidden opportunity rather than a disaster? I think this situation, like, like a lot of situations, the best thing that we can do is to ask, what is it good for, right? Like if we, if we are trying to fight it, if we are shaking our fist at the sky, and saying, well, why can't we, blah, 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 that's not going to do a lot of good. Um, what we need to do is, <laughs> this is a weird phrase, but we'll say lean into the strengths of the pandemic. So if the strength of the pandemic is you can't see anybody, uh, you know, obvi obviously there's a lot of uh, things wrong with that, things that we might not like about that. I don't like it either. But okay, if the reality is that we can't see anybody, well, actually, there's certain circumstances that we might choose that are like that. When can't you see anybody? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's when you're on a retreat. Maybe it's when you're on a sabbatical. Mm -hmm. And so that, to, uh, to this point, this is why I really tried to focus on writing my book. Because I thought, you know what? I, if I have an opportunity where it is hard and difficult and challenging to interact with other people, I might as well use that because the thing that it's good for is solitary time. So let's use that to actually go deep, do deep work and advance on a project. So I'm doing that. You know, I have other friends that have been creating online courses. They have been writing books. They've been uh, really trying to finish off projects that may have been hard in the past, but now it presents an unprecedented time for focus. What, what's been your, your COVID project, Mohammed? What have you been doing? Oh, as you know, I have been working on the social media, right? Not as prolific as you, but 600, maybe 50 words a day instead of the 6,000 words that a day. That is still fantastic. <laughs> and uh, this series, Thrive and Fridays with Dr. Solomon. And speaking of which, if you would like to follow Dory Clark, go to her website, doryclark.com. Also, she is active on Twitter and on Instagram, uh, and you can find lots of her articles on her website. I'll circle back to a time where you had a setback as a journalist. After a year of working as a journalist, you were laid off. How did you bounce back? And I'm sure this will resonate with a lot of people who, for unfortunate reasons, were laid off during this pandemic time. 
So I think there's a couple of answers to that uh, excellent question. The first one is I think sometimes um, the, the best way to bounce back, honestly, is to th just throw yourself into the next thing. Because if you are wallowing, uh, then yeah. you can kind of go down a bad spiral. In my case, I was laid off from the newspaper where I worked on Monday, September 10th, 2001. And I was planning to start my job search the next day, which was not a good day to be job searching. That was, uh, that was definitely not uh, the, the order of the day when there were unprecedented national terrorist attacks. And so I obviously, like everybody, was scared about the terrorism. I was also really scared about the economic impacts because everything froze. I mean, flights were grounded. The stock, literally the stock market shut down for days. Nothing was trading. And I thought, how am I ever going to get a job in this environment? Like, like nobody knows what's happening. And so I was, I was really uh, spurred to action because I thought, oh my God, I, I, it's, it's hard enough to find a job under normal circumstances, but finding one in the aftermath of something like that, just, I had a huge fire under me because I really, really needed work and I needed to make money to pay my rent. So I just started hustling and I could not focus on the fact that I had lost my job because I was so focused on the fact that I needed another job and I had to, I had to just uh, make that happen. So I think that is part of it. I think the other thing that brings a lot of people down in terms of um, you know, the resiliency question is sometimes people are just way too quick to accept other people's judgment of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had, when I, when I was laid off at the paper, I mean, there were multiple layoffs. I was not the only one, but um, in addition to the fact that there were financial exigencies that the paper had, you know, that was legitimately true. Uh, also, my boss didn't like me. <laughs> and so that didn't help mm -hmm. in terms of who was chosen to be laid off. And, um, you know, I just, I just never accepted her judgment of me. You know, she, she would send things back to me with all, all these like red lines, you know, all these edits and ah, change this, change this, change this. And, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, I would, I would ask her, I'm like, I'm like, like, what do you want? Like how, you know, how do I do what you want? And I remember one time she gave me a classic answer. She said, make it better. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? Yeah. That's actually terrible. That's like, like as an editor, you really, <laughs> I didn't say this, but I'm like, can you make it better. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, you need to give people instructions. You need to be precise. And the fact that she couldn't do that. And, and she was just, I felt like she was being vindictive with all of these red lines. And I was just like, you know what? That's not me. That's not my problem. That's her problem. She can't explain what she wants and she's not liking it. And you know what? Sorry. And one of the sweetest things, one of the, one of the just like sweetest memories was the very first freelance piece that I ever placed after losing my job. I placed it with the Boston Globe, which was considered, you know, bigger, perhaps quote unquote, better paper than the one that I wrote for. And they literally did not make a change. They did not edit one word of my piece. And I'm like, you know what? someone likes my writing. And so I just, I was resilient in the sense that I was like, no, I'm not the problem. She's the problem. And this is a big lesson is sometimes we tend to blame ourselves 
for the problem, but it's something that could be external and not in our hands. And it's not going to be solved. Like there is no way you can change someone's reality. Dory, always a pleasure to have you. And we'd love to have you again on Thrive, talk more about your new book, about your wonderful strategies, and looking forward to reading it and reading more of your articles. Again, if you would like to follow Dory Clark, go to our website, doryclark.com. You will find many of her articles for free. She also has a bunch of resources. And don't forget to click like and follow Thrive and follow Dory Clark, both on Twitter, Instagram. And until we meet next time, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you next episode of Thrive. Thank you. Thank you.